Welcome back to the Messy City Podcast. Kevin Klinkenberg here. Happy to be with you. And I uh, hope everybody had a good uh, New Year's celebration. Uh, I did as well. Had a, had a lot of fun here uh, in Kansas City. We actually uh, got to do a fun thing at, at the uh, at one of the local breweries, uh, Casey Beer Company, uh, B-I-E-R, uh, which specializes in uh, German beers, thus the spelling. Uh, they actually do a German New Year's Eve uh, at what am- at what becomes five o'clock Central Time, uh, and it's a really great uh, event and party that uh, a few hundred people go to, and uh, you get to actually celebrate the New Year's early. And then if you miss out on the the ball dropping on uh, Dick Clark's uh, New Year's Rockin' Eve, it's not a big deal, but. Uh, uh, that's a little something that we did here. Uh, also got out to see a fun comedy show. And, and uh, New Year's Eve is always one of those nights that uh, I always kind of enjoy. I've always enjoyed it as a holiday. I know a lot of people don't like it very much. A lot of people uh, prefer to just kind of stay home and uh, and celebrate in their own way. And that's fine. But uh, I've, I've always been one that kind of uh, enjoyed it. And uh, I, I like the whole ritual uh, of bringing in the new year. Uh, and that's really what I what brings me to this <clears throat> this episode here today that I wanted to talk a little bit about. Um, it's you know that time of year where you basically get to think a lot about what happened over the previous year and and maybe make some resolutions or goals or set some uh, ideas in motion for the next year. And I always take some time to do a lot of thinking about what uh, I might like to do in the next year and things I might want to change. I uh, frequently uh, make uh, a list that's kind of ridiculous in its length and scope of different aspects of uh, my own life that I uh, want to work on or improve. And uh, that's just something I kind of do for myself, but I also generally like to take a little time and think about what I'm working on professionally and um, what... uh, what might need to change in that world and uh, try to give some deeper thoughts or meaning to uh, the work that I'm doing on a day-to-day basis and the team that I'm working with and try to help give us some, some focus uh, for the next year, which is, which is really a challenge uh, in, in the line of work that, uh, that I do and that uh, a lot of people do in place management. You're, you're pulled in a lot of different directions uh, every day, every week. And so it's really it's really important to try to dial it back to what is mission critical and figure out what things you need to say no to. What I wanted to talk about here today was uh, I gave a lot of thought this this uh, this year to uh, what if I were to boil it down to a fairly short list of what what was really important for the part uh, of town of the city that I live in to be successful. Like what are the things that would really uh, are absolutely critical to get done well for uh, this this area to thrive? Uh, what would those be? Uh, and I think we we all in our own areas or cities or towns or wherever we live, <clears throat> we probably have a, a, a different list of what those are. But I, I wanted to give some focus to that because it uh, has relevance, obviously, to the work that I do every day. Um, I will say, you know, right off the front, I I have had um, a very unusual career path in a lot of ways, uh, and 
uh, it's probably something I would never recommend uh, to a young person uh, if I uh, lined it out on all paper and said, here's what I did, you know, this year and this set of years. And then I went on and did this other thing. And uh, it's um, it's it's been kind of a crazy uh, schizophrenic path uh, in my own career. Uh, and uh, I started, obviously, as an architect and uh, have worked uh, in uh, architecture and urban planning. I've worked uh, as my own entrepreneur. I've worked in local government and now in the nonprofit world. I've worked in private sector development. Um, so it's just kind of bounced, you know, to a lot of different places. And uh, I think what, one thing I would say that, that this has done uh, on the on the good side is that it's really given me a lot of insight into uh, very different areas uh, of really everything that impacts our cities and towns. So whether we're talking about um, how places are designed, uh, everything from buildings to streets to sidewalks, landscaping, et cetera, I've had a lot of experience and, and work in that area. But also uh, in the policy arena, uh, I've spent many, many years uh, working on and, <clears throat> and writing zoning codes and uh, being involved with policy initiatives related to uh, development and planning. And now, uh, with Midtown KC Now, I've gotten to experience the, the management uh, side of the equation. I often talk about those three legs of the stool, the design, policy, and management, as each being uh, important and critical uh, for a place to succeed and to, and to think about. All three of those have to be uh, thought about well. And, uh, and so now I, I'm in this place management area where I, I get to really impact public space management, day-to-day efforts related especially to our clean and safe programs. And uh, so that, that really has uh, helped me build kind of a crazy diversity of experience uh, and interactions over time. So, um, so many interactions with very different kinds of people that are working, uh, in the planning, design, construction, development of our cities, private sector, public sector, nonprofit, you name it. Uh, and, uh, I, I suppose, uh, I, I like to think it's given me a much more <clears throat> well-rounded perspective, uh, than most people would get. And the experience to understand uh, things that I see that actually work and that are uh, important and things that don't work. Uh, and there's a lot of things that we do that don't really work uh, in, in our efforts to uh, improve our places. Uh, and so in the past, I've been really, uh, on a lot of these episodes, I've been uh, fairly critical of a lot of like major top-down uh, efforts that come from federal, state, or local governments, uh, and really encouraging people more to embrace the sort of bottom-up uh, ethos of uh, working on smaller problems, uh, as, as they say in Silicon Valley, to uh, fail fast, uh, you know, basically learn things, try them out quickly, try them inexpensively, and then figure out what's working and improve. Um, and uh, there's a lot of truth to that, but there's also there are also times where you really need that big effort, some sort of big coordinated effort uh, that you might describe as top-down. So I, I'm never one to say that those aren't important ever. Uh, we need we need those to exist and to work in our communities as well. Uh, we just have a poor track record of 
those efforts really improving the lives of people in, in our cities and working out well for the long term. Uh, so uh, that that's kind of where a lot of my uh, bias has come is just frankly just lo- lots of years of time in the trenches and work on so many different uh, pri- plans and projects to see uh, what might actually have a positive impact on on actual people that live in cities. So uh, what I want to do here today is zoom out a little bit and go through this list uh, that I came to after kind of writing it out and editing it and refining it a little bit to to uh, a list of six things as I look ahead towards this year and beyond that I think are really important for uh, Midtown Kansas City to succeed. Um, I'd be really interested to see how you think this compares to your place. Uh, what might what might be the same? What what might be different? Uh, I think there are obviously some things that are uh, similar uh, from place to place, uh, but there are always unique characteristics um, based on what's going on in your community. Is it growing? Is it not growing? Um, <clears throat> you know, what's the uh, what's the cultural situation like? Uh, there are just many, many dynamics uh, involved. So with that, I'll jump right into it. I've got this list of, uh, in my opinion here, the six things that Midtown really needs um, for us to be successful and to thrive well above what we're doing now. Um, And uh, uh, we're in a place now where we're improving and a lot of things are getting better. Um, But I would not say we are thriving uh, we're not really there yet. Uh, as I've mentioned before, we're still uh, recovering from decades of just enormous population loss and uh, lots of other issues. So uh, we're not we're not there in terms of thriving, but we are improving. Uh, we are on a positive trajectory trajectory generally. Uh, so those six things, uh, I'm going to start right off the top. The first thing uh, that I think our area needs that, that frankly, every area needs is, um, is public safety. Uh, call it law and order if you want. Um, but it's really, uh, it, it's the reason that we have local governments. Uh, it's the reason we come together as a community, which is to provide for um, the common safety in a sense in a sense of uh, law, uh, as opposed to lawlessness, which often happens when you don't have uh, any kind of uh, uh, true law enforcement policing or judi- judicial system. It, it may seem strange to mention um, this as a, as a number one criteria, because obviously um, we think that you know, that's a, just a basic function that's always being taken care of. But uh, I, I will tell you, I feel like we have uh, really gone astray in our understanding of the importance of this, especially in, in my community. Uh, and uh, I, I do like to uh, remind people, I don't like to remind, it's just, you know, it's part of the reality. People don't feel safe in their community because of uh, rampant crime. Uh, because of just a sense of lawlessness, of disorder, they will leave. Uh, that is absolutely the either number one or two reason that people generally leave uh, a place. Uh, and uh, in my city, we have experienced a really awful uh, wave 
of crime and disorder uh, in the last few years that has not abated. Uh, there are some specific uh, reasons for that. I mean, there are reasons all over the country that people talk about, but there are some very specific things uh, that are part of our nature here in Kansas City, Missouri that I won't really get into uh, today, but um, I think it's always good to remind uh, everybody that that um, law and order or public safety is number one. That's that's what we need our leadership to emphasize. And if we don't have it, uh, then then um, nothing else really is going to work. Uh, it doesn't really matter if we if we don't have any kind of effective uh, law enforcement or judicial system or a way to punish people who are trying to do um, bad or evil things. So uh, I have that as number one. I think it's something that we have a long ways to go to work on uh, in my city. Uh, and uh, it's top of the list. Second thing, uh, on a more, uh, I guess, on a more positive note, but it, again, this may seem uh, this may seem obvious, perhaps, on its face, but it's just activity. Uh, and what I, when I say activity, what I mean is just the visible presence of human activity uh, everywhere in our part of town. Uh, we have uh, we have seen a lot of really good uh, redevelopment efforts in the last few years. A lot of new things happening that are encouraging, but we still have really large areas uh, of land that basically just sits vacant, um, or where there's very little activity. Um, day or night. And um, for urban communities in particular, uh, uh, as I mentioned in a previous podcast, it's that street level activity. It's the interesting walk that you can go down where there's other humans around and there's good activity happening. Uh, that is the primary amenity of being there. Uh, that's why you live in a city is because of the ability to walk outside your door and see uh, and experience um, unique, cool things going on that you just won't get anywhere else. Um, so those are businesses, they're events, uh, they're <clears throat> uh, any number of things where um, there are people just creating life. Uh, and uh, we have, um, uh, again, with, with many years of abandonment, we've lost a lot of the sort of natural uh, creation of that that you might see. Um, but we're starting to get it back a little bit. And what we really need is a lot more of it. So I think when I, uh, when I think of this, I think especially of uh, a lot of uh, things that people would call, consider like pop-up events um, that uh, can happen very informally and quickly and inexpensively to uh, populate an area. And so these have become really popular, popular in the last decade or so in cities all over the country it might be a, uh, it might be a food truck, uh, corral, or it might be a, uh, a inexpensive beer garden that can be created somewhere. It might be uh, a craft fair or a small business fair of some kind. Um, those are things that can be done on, um, vacant properties. Um, it might be arts related, <clears throat> It, who knows? There are any number of things. The possibilities really are endless on what what could happen. Um, but that activity is absolutely crucial to uh, people enjoying a place and wanting to continue to be there 
and uh, and then walking the streets. And it, and it also enhances the safety of an area when there's actually activity, <clears throat> uh, maybe not 24-7, but certainly 18-7. Uh, so uh, I have that up very high in the list because I think it's something we need to do a better job of. And, and I want to help figure out how we can do more uh, in that world to really just help uh, populate our um, empty spaces with good activity. <clears throat> so a third thing um, that uh, helps with uh, the activity uh, that uh, our part of town certainly needs is just frankly more housing. Uh, and uh, again, we are a growing community. So um, whenever you have a growing community, you frankly just, it sounds really really stupid to say in a lot of ways and very logical, but you just need more houses. You need more houses, more apartments, more places for people to live. Uh, and, uh, unfortunately we have kind of stalled out in that regard. The last two or three years, uh, in, in our part of town, we have some projects under construction that were, uh, approved two or three years ago, but there hasn't really been, um, uh, anything new, um, uh, due to some policy changes at the local government level, and then also the macro factors that are impacting everybody, uh, the interest rates and, and construction inflation that really has hammered um, development the last couple of years. And uh, so we are seeing the new supply of housing stalling out uh, temporarily, but demand is still strong. So the reality is when you don't when you have that combination, what you're going to see happen is prices just go up. Uh, and we're, we're, so we're, we're getting the benefit of an area improving and, um, housing prices going up, which benefits some and hurts others. Um, but we're also just not getting more people, uh, in our part of town. And, uh, I, I am a firm believer in the fact that, uh, neighborhoods and cities, you're either growing or you're dying. Uh, and, I would rather be on the side of growing. And uh, that doesn't mean you have to have exponential growth or that you have to want exponential growth. But if you aren't adding people to your area, um, then they're going to be just, they're going to go somewhere else. And eventually if you discourage people from coming to your area because you're, because not enough housing is being built, then eventually your area will experience a slow death. Uh, and, um, that's something we're struggling with uh, here. We we desperately need more housing in our part of town. And I think I've mentioned this before, but we have about one third of the population that we had in our peak. Uh, our peak year was 1950. Uh, even with um, stability and, and some development in the last decade, those numbers have not really uh, moved very much at all. So we're, st we're not declining anymore, but we're not really increasing at any noticeable rate. So more housing, more housing begets uh, more activity. So those two things really go together. And frankly, more housing, more activity begets more safety. Uh, so all of those work, work very well together. Before I get into the rest of the list, I do want to remind everybody, if you get a chance, please hit uh, the like or follow button on your favorite podcast service, Apple, Spotify, Google, whatever that might be. Uh, also leave a rating or a review. It definitely helps um, the ranking of the podcast. 
Uh, I've really enjoyed doing this the last year. I can I plan to continue doing this indefinitely, uh, and uh, I'd love to get as many ears on it as possible. So um, the, anytime you can rank it, review it, whatever, that helps. All right, back to the list. Fourth item. So this one, probably not a surprise for those of you who know me really well, but but I think beauty is incredibly important uh, for any area to succeed. And it's something that our area uh, needs to do a lot of work on. So what, what do I mean by beauty? Well, uh, there, are, there are a lot of ways of thinking about this, but just frankly, uh, the combination of beautiful buildings and beautiful public spaces that make a place worth lingering in and that then makes people want to come back time and time again to linger there just because you enjoy the beauty of it so much. Um, so we don't have, you know, my part of town doesn't have uh, an ocean or mountains uh, or a lake or a big, beautiful river. Uh, so we don't have those sort of major natural amenities that you would see. Uh, we do have a pretty landscape, in my opinion. We have uh, some rolling topography and really nice uh, uh, limestone uh, outcroppings and and um, and areas, you know, very attractive parks and everything that were legacies from the City Beautiful movement. Uh, there again, <laughs> the word beauty with the City Beautiful movement. Uh, and... Uh, those are great, uh, but we need that beauty in the urban areas, in the heart of those areas where people actually live their daily lives too, where they want, uh, where they walk around, where they ride a bike, where they drive a car, uh, where they take public transportation. Um, beauty is important to all of us, and uh, it's what keeps us coming back to a place. It's what makes us fall in love, frankly with a place, uh, is when it is so attractive that we can't imagine wanting to be somewhere else. Um, I, am always, uh, amazed at when, when people in my world, uh, don't think beauty, uh, is important. Uh, and, and I, so I, I understand there are people who think, well, you know, having shelter is more important. Yeah, shelter is important to sustain, uh, to be able to live, right? Um, uh, but if you actually want to sustain life, if you want places to thrive, if you want people to thrive, um, there needs to be beauty in their world. Uh, and uh, I, I like to say in presentations sometimes um, that uh, human pleasure is not a frill. In fact, it's the entire point of existing. If you can't enjoy, uh, what you're doing, uh, who you are, the place you live in, the people you're with, that sense of pleasure is incredibly important and beauty in the built environment, uh, is a key factor in that. And we all know this, uh, every one of us knows this because whenever we have the opportunity, uh, if we're lucky enough to take a vacation somewhere, we inevitably go somewhere that is beautiful. So that might be a beautiful uh, outdoor environment in nature. It might be um, a beautiful city or town in your country or a foreign country. Uh, it might be Disney World, 
or Disneyland, which frankly has learned what people find attractive and beautiful and have created theme parks that have that feel uh, to them. Uh, So beauty is fundamental to us and we don't spend nearly enough time thinking about that. And I think one of our one of our flaws as Midwesterners in particular is that we don't put nearly enough emphasis on beauty. We tend to be very utilitarian uh, about our buildings, about our spaces. And uh, I would like for us to care more uh, about beauty in architecture and beauty in public spaces. In fact, we have tremendous historical examples to learn from that can show us uh, the way and we've just got to figure out how to do that again uh, in our uh, in our current uh, living environment. So beauty is incredibly important. We're going to continue to work on it wherever we can in, in small ways or bigger ways. And I think it's going to be, uh, I think it's a secret, rec- secret part of the recipe to uh, make people want to live in our part of town and, and keep coming and stay there and keep, stay there for many, many years. Okay, the fifth thing uh, is sort of the flip side uh, all, of all that is we need some, you need some sort of rules that prevent the worst kind of development from happening. So I'm, uh, again, I mentioned earlier that I've uh, spent a lot of time over the years. I've worked in policy. I've written a lot of zoning codes. I've critiqued a lot of zoning codes. I've uh, talked with endlessly with people about zoning, which is something in a, million years when I was 18 years old, I would have never thought I was, I would ever do. Um, but <clears throat> what I learned is that the practice of zoning is critical to uh, you've got to understand it if you want to understand how to design and build anything. Uh, and as an architect, I had to learn how to do that. Uh, and eventually over time, I, I developed an expertise in it. But um, saying all that doesn't mean that I think there is like a perfect zoning code. There is not a perfect zoning code. Um, Zoning will never give you uh, great outcomes. It's not geared for that. Development rules or regulations can't do that. Um, no matter, you could have what you think is the most elegant code ever written, um, but if you have bad designers, you're going to get bad buildings, no matter what. But what a what a what a code can do, potentially, is prevent some of the worst, most flagrant um, abuses from happening. So in an urban area, the way I would describe that would be um, suburban style development in the middle of an urban area. Uh, So a strip mall, a suburban style shopping center, um, a a large format gas station, something like that. Um, Not that any of those, not, not that the businesses in there aren't needed, they're all needed. They're all useful and, and, and they all serve a purpose, but the way that they're designed and built either reinforces good activity or harms it. Uh, and in many cases they can serve as a multi-decade, uh, negative that really harms uh, a community. And we've gotten, we've got a number of those in our part of town, uh, that were, that were built, uh, in an era when everybody was trying to suburbanize the city. And um, I understand what people were thinking at the time, um, but, uh, but it, was a, it was a misguided time. People were uh, concerned with the wrong things. 
they were focused on things that really destroyed uh, the city instead of uh, understanding what our assets are and trying to enhance those. And so I think uh, as we look ahead, we have we have a few areas in our part of Midtown where we have some rules in place that I think do help us prevent some of the uh, most uh, obnoxious kinds of development that could happen. Um, again, those rules are not going to just give you good development, um, but they can hopefully prevent some of the worst things from happening. Uh, and I, I've talked talked to you before. If you've listened to this pod- podcast very much, you know that I interview a lot of developers. Um, I'm friends with a lot of developers. I really, I really like uh, most developers that I know. Uh, I think most of them are really uh, exceptional people, uh, really interesting uh, people who um, are true generalists in many ways and ha- need to understand so many different things about. Uh, about building a place, building a building. Uh, but like every other world, there are some really crappy people too. And there are uh, developers who will absolutely <clears throat> uh, try to harm your community in the interest of their project. Uh, they really don't. They're only, they're only focused on uh, the bottom line for their project and they don't really care about you, your neighborhood, your neighbors, etc. And so... Um, so I think having some rules in place that prevents the worst of that, uh, is a good thing. And I, and I fully understand that, uh, when I say, what I say, the worst of it, what I mean may not be what other people mean. Um, and that's a part of having a community conversation about development and design. So we can come to some, some mutual sense of understanding of what we can mean by it. Uh, I know what I have in my head. You may have something different, uh, entirely, but, um, um, but that's that's a critical uh, element. The last thing, uh, this one gets particularly wonky, um, but I think it's critical to our part of town in ways that it may not be to others. And so uh, it, it falls kind of under the larger banner of just better coordination and management uh, on some things related to transportation. So what do I mean by that? Um I've talked a little bit before here about the importance of parking management. Uh, we don't really do parking management uh, in uh, my part of uh, the city. Uh, and in Kansas City, Missouri, we have a pretty lousy track record, frankly, of parking management. Uh, and that is uh, the idea that you might have shared district parking um, that is managed uh, efficiently and attractively. Uh, so as to minimize the need for um, ugly surface parking everywhere, uh, but still provide for um, uh, a reasonable amount of parking in places that people want to go to. Uh, so um, parking management as a coordination effort is really important. Uh, the other transportation-related thing um, is just better intersection design. So... I feel like this is one where I could probably write a couple of a couple of book chapters uh, about. Um, again, one of the things that I have had to learn a lot about over the years in order to create uh, the kinds of communities that I was interested in, which were sort of traditional walkable communities, I had to learn a lot about traffic engineering. 
And I tend to come from the Jane Jacobs camp that I think traffic engineering generally is voodoo. And um, it's um, <laughs> it's basically destroyed uh, the name uh it's destroyed the name of science effectively because they a lot of traffic engineers like to purport the idea that everything they do is scientific and it's it's just not it uh, a lot of it um is uh, really based more on human psychology uh, as much as anything else um that said there are some aspects of it which are interesting to learn and understand because so that you can learn which levers to pull to make a better place and one of the things that's very true when it comes to looking at traffic that i did learn from some good engineers uh, who were trying to create really great places uh, along with me was that the intersections uh, street intersections in particular they really control the design of the streets uh, because those are the choke points and if you can do effective intersection design, then you can often successfully uh, reduce the width of streets, uh, traffic, calm streets, etc., cetera, uh, and um, not have really any negative uh, effect. Um, so uh, I think about that a lot because we have a lot of intersections uh, in our part of town that really need uh, just a redesign. Uh, and... Uh, for the most part, they're seen now almost like highway, um, highway intersections or great big thoroughfares. Um, and, uh, we really don't have the level of traffic on our major streets that you would expect, or that, that frankly you even have in many suburban areas. And yet we still have these big wide streets and, and big wide intersections that are pretty hostile to anybody, uh, wanting to walk around and that we have the downstream effects that um, because we have these uh, intersections that don't work very well, we have overly wide streets. Uh, so uh, from, a, from a transportation standpoint, uh, there's a lot we could do to work on better intersection design. Some of that could be with roundabouts. Some of it might be with uh, traditional squares. Uh, some of it might be just very technical things that look at how uh, signals are timed, how sidewalk crossings are handled, um, how landscaping is handled at intersections. But just in general, we've got a lot of work to do in that area. So uh, one thing that I would like to see going forward that I do think is really important that will move the needle in a very big way is just better intersection design. All right, one item I didn't include in my six that I thought I should just talk about for a second uh, was uh, education or, or schooling. Um, before I wrap this up, I thought I should talk a little bit about uh, why I left that off, because uh, I certainly mentioned in a previous podcast that that is among the list of things that I think uh, normal people really care about, extremely care about. Uh, my experience has been it's probably uh, either the number one or two reason that people choose a place to live. Uh, if you have kids, uh, it's of foremost importance of the, the kind of education your kids are going to get, as well as the safety uh, considerations you have for your own family. If you don't have kids, you maybe don't think about this stuff very much, but I will tell you from my experience, uh, being someone who has kids and had them late in life, uh, it is uh, an absolute sea change in the way that you see the world and, and, 
experience the world and, and, and your own priorities. So schooling and education uh, is, is absolutely right on the list. But the reason I didn't include it on my six priorities uh, is sort of twofold. One is that uh, in, in my position, in our role with our organization, there's really almost nothing we can do to impact uh, the quality of education or the education system. Uh, and uh, it's not, not to say that we as parents or individuals can't make a difference, but uh, as an organization, it's just not something that we uh, enter into other than to try to uh, give people information. Uh, and then secondly, uh, I think probably more importantly is that here in Kansas City, I think I feel like we actually have some really good options and we're probably ahead of the game compared to a lot of other uh, urban communities. We have a robust uh, system of public charter schools here uh, that have existed for a couple of decades uh, in addition to the public school district in addition to the private schools and parochial schools. So um, we actually have some pretty tremendous options uh, and uh, there are great resources out there for parents and others to try to uh, figure out uh, which direction you want to go. Uh, and whereas I think that used to be a weakness for our city uh, uh, 20 or 30 years ago, I think it's uh, in many ways it's an advantage uh, now. Uh, our kids are in a public charter school that we really, really enjoy. Uh, it's one of the best public schools in the state of Missouri now, and um, uh, I think there are others that are really equally excellent options uh, in addition to the public school district improving as well. So uh, I, I, I have that as something that is uh, dearly important to most people, uh, but I did not include it on my list for those reasons. All right. Those are my six, those are my six items. Um, my six priorities or, or needs for Midtown Kansas city. What are yours? Do any of those resonate with you? Be curious to hear more about your experience and what you think of this list, especially if you're somebody in Kansas City. Uh, I do talk about my city a lot because it's the one that I know the best, uh, but I like to share these in, in many ways because I think they can help people in lots of other places and help you begin to think uh, about your own community and what you might be able to do there. So happy new year, everybody. Happy 2024. Thank you so much for listening. This is Kevin on the Messy City Podcast. I'll talk to you soon.